Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And we've been talking about the book of Acts, and this is going a little slower than I thought, but I feel like if we rush through this, we're going to miss something. So if it takes a little time for us to cover the book of Acts, and praise the Lord. Uh, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now remember what's happening here. Peter just preached a message. He stood up with the 11. God had gifted them with these incredible ability to speak in languages they had never, ever studied. And that's because all over, uh, from all over the area, from the Middle East, from Europe, from North Africa, from which is called Saudi Arabia today, people came, Jews came to Jerusalem, and they were there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, which was one of the holidays that every Jewish male had to be at if they were within a certain radius. And so they're all here, and many of them are not speaking Hebrew or Aramaic because that's not their language. They grew up with another language, even though they're, they're, they're Jewish. And so they're there, they hear the gospel preached in their language. Peter stands up, preaches. Uh, it's an amazing work of God. And we talked about the things that um, were spoken about. We'll just cover that in a minute. And we just see that 3,000 people are added that day. I just love that, that when we preach the word, God adds people. I mean, when we preach his good news, God just adds people. Because it's not the church and what was happening in Acts chapter 2 was not a personality appreciation group. It was not a clique. It was not something that was centered around politics. And we know there's a lot of politics going on right now. Um, that was not the message of the church. But the message of the church was the gospel of grace. And so next verse, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I love that, devotion. Uh, I think in the King James it says they gave themselves. Um, They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's apostles' teaching? Apostles' teaching is what we find in the Word of God. It's what we see Paul teaching. It's what we see uh, being spoken about in the epistles. Uh, When we want doctrine and teaching, we go to the epistles. And so they were devoted to that and and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so in Acts chapter 2, we really see the birth of true community. What is a true community? I think today that the community... The devil is always in the world and, and people's flesh is always trying to re, always trying to redefine what is true community. What's a group that people would feel comfortable in? What is that true community where people derive their identity? And I think today, I mean, I appreciate, I love Facebook and social media. I'm on it. I use it, and I think it's a great tool to to back up what we're doing. I think true community can only be found in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to talk about that just for a few minutes tonight. As I remember last week, we said God meets men and women where they are. 
This is what Paul Peter said. God meets men and women where they are. And he tells them three things. He tells them the truth about themselves. He offers them new life in the gospel that creates change. And I love this statement. I heard this years ago. Agape love does not demand change, but it produces change. God's love is not demanding change. God's not saying, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to give you Jesus Christ, I'm going to do all these things for you. I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless your future, I'm going to bless your marriage. And he doesn't give us all of that to make us change. Because if grace is given with some type of expectation in return, then it's no longer grace. So God gives grace to you and I, and you know what this does? It just produces in us an amazing thankfulness. I know the human psyche is made that when you receive something for free and you're not asked to pay it back, what does that do to you? I mean, I remember coming back from the mission field, and we were just like, you know, I was 31, and um, my wife had never lived in the States, you know, in the sense of um, being married to me. And so we were coming back, we were like immigrants in a lot of ways. I was 18, I went to Bible school, and Bible school for me was, I was just locked, it was like, oh, I was just locked up in this beautiful bubble of just the Word of God, Jesus Christ, and the body, and it was just amazing. And, and then right after that, I went overseas, and so I came back to the States, and I felt a lot like an immigrant, and, you know, it's just really fun times, I mean, it was just very interesting. I went to the bank to get a, to get a loan for a car, and they pulled my credit report, and they were like, Mr. Moore, where have you been? This is like zero credit here. You're 31. You have like no credit whatsoever. And I said, long story. And someone called us up and they said, we want to give you a car. And just give you a car. I was like, what? You want to give us a car? They said, yes. And they gave us a car. They fixed up this car. It was an old Oldsmobile. It was one of those, it was like an 87 or 86 um, uh, station wagon. The thing was a monster. It was like, it was bigger than today's SUVs. You could put nine people in it. It had like a fourth seat in the back or a third seat in the back that could pop up and put three people back there. And I remember driving that thing. I think the wheels were this wide. Remember those things? <laughs> and I just remember driving that thing, and I think it got maybe five miles to the gallon. I don't know. It's just huge, huge car. And I just remember getting that car for free without being asked to give anything in return. And you know what that did to me? Later on down the road, God began to bless us in different ways. And I remember, I'll never forget that feeling I had when someone gave me a car. I remember our pastor didn't have a car because he had gone, we, our church had gone through a transition. He was, in, he was uh, the new pastor, and he had really, his income wasn't at that point where he could get a new car. And I just remember having this vehicle, not, not the Oldsmobile, but another car, Toyota. And I just remember thinking, you know what, I know what it's like not to have a car. And my wife has a car, and this is paid off. I'm just gonna, we're just gonna give it to him. And so I didn't give it to him, I gave it to his wife. I said, here, because the pastor's not gonna take it. Here are the keys, tell him not to say anything. I don't want him to reject it. I just, I'm losing my reward in heaven for saying this. <laughs> but we gave it to him, and I just remember the joy of being able to give it. And that, hap that, that happened to us several times, where we were able to bless people. Because when God gives us something that we could never deserve and something that we could never qualify for and something that we could never pay back, that's called grace. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. And we could just probably park right here for the rest of the message. Grace is something that God wants to give to you and I 
something that we could never qualify for. You know, when you look at your future, you ever look at your future and think, wow, you know, what's my future going to be like? Where am I going? What's going to happen with my kids, my grandkids? You know, my me, what's going to happen with my career? You know, we've got to look at our life from the perspective of God's grace, that God wants to minister to you and I based on something that we could never qualify for, something that we could never, ever achieve ourselves. And that's why grace is so beautiful, because grace is something that we could never achieve in our life. In Ephesians chapter 1, over and over and over, we see these beautiful portions of Scripture that state that praise to the glory of His grace. Meaning that grace is something that glorifies God. Whenever you, think, whenever you and I think about glorifying God, what's the greatest way to glorify God? Work hard for God? You know? Put in a million hours in ministry? I don't know. I think the greatest way, that does glorify God, serving the Lord and loving the Lord with all our heart and all our might and all our mind. But what gives the greatest glory to God? When you and I receive something from Him that we could never qualify for, that we could never achieve ourselves, and something that we would never have to pay back. That is pure grace. And I think that that's a grace, that's a message that the devil wants to change a little bit. Remember our pastor back in the day wrote a book called What Satan Hates the Most. And the whole book is just about grace. Satan hates grace because, because how does Satan get glory? He gets glory through the energy of the flesh of man when man is uh, energized with his own strength and, and fulfilling his own needs. But when we allow God to love us and minister to us, and we say, God, my pride does not want to say, I can't do this. I want to receive something. doesn't want to receive anything. remember uh, a Catholic woman in our church back in Ukraine. And she was very, very poor. She was, very, she was elderly. And she had gone through this entire scene with the, um, in World War II. She, was, she had been captured by the Nazis. She was made by the Nazis to be the secretary, and this is a true story. She was the secretary of the Nazis. Her job was to document everybody's name, where they lived, and what they owned before they were, before they were sent to the firing line and shot. This was her job, to write down their names, get everything down that they owned, where they lived, to get as much information as possible. And that was what she did. She was forced to do that. She, she was not married. She's Polish, and she was the first person that we met when we were in the Ukraine. She said to us that the, when the Russians came and took over and forced the Nazis out, it was just one bad thing replacing another bad thing. And when the Russians came in, the, the communists, I should say communists, came in, uh, they, what they did was is that they, did, they forced her entire family out to Siberia, and she was a 14-year-old girl living by herself in this city in western Ukraine. And she had to fend for herself. And uh, by the age of 16, um, she was employed by uh, a Russian general who said, you are a great girl. Uh, you need to have a husband. I want you to, I want you to marry my driver, <laughs> my chauffeur. So she was forced at gunpoint to marry this guy. She's like, no, I'm not going to marry him. And, she, and he said, and these are the words he said, if you don't marry him, I will shoot you right here like a dog. And so she married him. And it turned out to be an amazing marriage. They had a beautiful son. 
he died not a few, not too long later. They had a beautiful son who grew up and uh, just is a great, amazing friend in the church. And uh, what? And her, when we first met her, this is how we met her. We were in the uh, open air market, just every day. Every, they didn't have they didn't have like a store back in those days when we were living there because it was just coming out of communism. And they were really against any kind of commercialization or capitalism. And so everything was just kind of like open air market. You know, you would see freshly slain meats on just like, just a wooden bench being sold. Every part of an animal you can imagine being sold. And my wife was a pro at that. She was just a pro at figuring out which was fresh and which was not fresh. And we would buy this stuff. And I remember, you know, there was no competition there in the market. You go to these open air markets and everything had the same price. You know, blueberries, like a, like a little box of blueberries was the same price all the way down the bench, you know. Nobody could compete with anybody else because it just wasn't allowed. So what we would do is we'd have to go down through the whole, like each, you know, each, each station and just see which was the freshest item for sale. And I remember um, my wife and I were there, we were looking at blueberries and this, this elderly woman calls us over and she goes, and she's still alive today. And she, I look at her and she's getting younger and younger. I just can't figure that out. I go, I go Sophia, how, are, how is this happening? You're just getting younger and younger and younger. And, and she, she calls up and she goes, she goes um, she's selling blueberries too. And she goes, those blueberries next to me are fresher than the woman's all the way down there. And we're like, thank you. And she, that's how we met her, through her goodness and through her kindness. And as we got to know her, because of her Catholic background, it was so hard for her to receive. It was so hard for her to receive something for free because later on down the road, her son got very sick, could not provide for her anymore, and she became very... Um, dependence in a lot of ways on the church and so we would buy groceries for her we'd, we'd get a taxi to tra- taxi her into uh, into church every week taxis were not that expensive and she said to me one time she goes it's so hard for me to receive because all of my years growing up I was taught that I need to I need to fend for myself I need to provide for myself um, don't take anybody don't don't receive anybody's charity because it makes you a lesser person if you do. And that mindset still exists today, and that's, called, that's the mindset in our natural flesh, isn't it? Our flesh does not want to receive. And agape love does not demand change. We would love to change ourselves, but that's something that we cannot do. We receive God's unconditional love, and that changes us. That's something about the grace of God that when we understand, we come to a meeting like this, and we're like, you know what? I just had such a bad week. I was, you know, all week I was thinking about discouragement. You know, I, I'm just thinking, you know, maybe you're, th- maybe you had a bad week. Maybe, maybe you got, you felt super attacked this week, or maybe, uh, maybe someone said something, or a family member said something to you that you just still can't process in your mind. Maybe something happened at work where you just totally blew it in front of everybody. You know, and you totally disqualify, disqualify yourself, and now you're here today, and you're thinking. Maybe uh, how, I don't even belong in this group of people. These people, these people are all amazing. That's one of the biggest, I think, misconceptions in a church today. Because you go to a church and you think, everyone in this room is perfect. Nobody ever has an argument with their wife. Nobody ever has, nobody, no one ever fails in their mind. No one ever, no one ever sins in this group. And that's such a misconception because that's not the body of Christ. That's not true community. 
True community is a community that is based on the grace of God, based on the gospel message, where you and I can come in, not live in the flesh, but come in and be loved in a way that we would never, ever find anywhere in this universe. The church is supposed to be the place, supposed to be the safe zone, supposed to be the place, the only place in the universe that people can come and not be judged and not be destroyed and not be put down and not be given a, a standard, an ideal that they could never, ever meet. And that's why sometimes God allows us to experience um, imperfection. And I just think that, that this is such a beautiful statement that love does not demand change, but it just it leads us into change, into transformational change. And then he invites them into a new community of faith and adds to what the 120 already had in their midst. So I'm just going to move along here. And verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The word received here means to receive something for another and to take for oneself. It means to internalize. It means I'm taking something that did not belong to me before, that's something that I didn't understand or that I did not own, and now I own it. Now it's mine. Now it's for me. It's, it's like putting your name, and someone said this this past week or a week before, I don't remember. It's like putting your name in that Bible verse, in that promise. In Romans 10, verse 17, faith does not come by something that I generate from the inside, Faith comes by hearing the word of God. I love that because whenever we lack faith, you ever lack faith? God, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. I think so. that's one of the most amazing prayers in the Bible right there. Right there. Here's a man, comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, and he's asking Jesus for a miracle. He says, Jesus, uh, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think it's one of the most honest most amazing prayers in the Bible. When we come to God and we say, God, I believe, I understand mentally, I understand you created this whole universe. I believe you can do this, but help my unbelief. When we say that to God, our brokenness, our honesty before God attracts his compassion. Do you ever get, do you ever see something that was helpless and your a compassion is attracted to it? That's the way it is with God. When God looks at you and I, without our masks, without, our, without us trying to be something or try to meet up to an ideal or a standard, and we say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. When we say that, his compassion is attracted to our need, to our brokenness, to our situation. I think sometimes we think, God, I'm sorry that this is not right and this is not right, and I'm sorry that I don't have enough faith for that. Faith is never, faith, you'll never find in the Bible a verse that describes faith as quantity. Never. You're going to see verses in the Bible that talk about faith as quality. Jesus said, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you know what a mustard seed looks like? How many have ever seen mustard seeds? I know John has. John, you've seen one. He's got, he's got mustard seeds everywhere, probably in his garden. There, it's a small little thing, but in the DNA of that seed, in that seed, there's the DNA, the life, the energy that needs to create, to grow an incredible tree. If you and I can just get the point, that seed, which is the Holy Spirit, the incorruptible seed in First Peter chapter 1, 
1 Peter chapter 3, that is in us. That's all that is needed when we mix water and sun, when we mix the word of God and we mix, we mix, we just say, I believe, Lord. What happens is it begins to grow. And I remember, remember when Jesus, when the disciples said to Jesus, I think Jesus just told them, forgive your brother 70 times 70. 70 times 7, remember? Which is a metaphor in the Bible, which means forever. Every time he sins, even if it's seven times in a day, forgive your brother. And what does disciples say? Oh, Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, I'm so tired of that guy annoying me. You know, like I said, you know, he's in the church and he's always doing this and he's annoying me all the time. What does Jesus say? Forgive him 70 times seven. And then Peter's like, I love Peter's honesty. He's like, oh, increase my faith. How many many have ever prayed that prayer? Like, God, you know, you know, I'm the pastor of the church. God, help increase my faith, you know. And you know what Jesus says? He said, if you have faith as what? An ocean? No. A mustard seed. Doesn't matter how much faith. The disciples are like, give us more faith. You know, you hear that on all over the all all the time on TV and everywhere. More faith, you know, and give more money and, and you have more faith and more. We don't see that in the Bible. And I believe that Jesus challenged people's faith, but he challenged the quality of their faith, not the quantity. So if you feel pretty bankrupt or if you feel like you've got overabundance of faith and that you're pretty righteous for that, I think that we're missing the mark. Faith comes by what? Hearing the word. If you're down and you're out, if you're just like, honey, I need to go for a walk. <laughs> just hear from God. Just go listen to the word. Just read the word. Go listen to a message. We have them online. Just le- listen to the messages. Go hear the word of God. Because when we hear then faith comes by hearing. And I know I'm not going to get through everything here, but that's all right. Because I, want to, I don't want to really speak any longer than 30 minutes. Four things that mark the first church that was growing. You know, the first church was growing. We hear a lot about church growth, don't we? Do you hear about it? I mean, in Texas, it's incredible. We're new to Texas still. I'm, incre- I'm amazed at how big churches are here. I mean, for us, in Philadelphia, like 1,200 people in a church, that was a mega church. It's a big church right there. Uh, here, I mean, I know a pastor here, a champion forest, Pastor David Fleming, and he and I were eating lunch the other day, and he was saying, you know, on Easter they have about 20,000 people going through their campuses and stuff. And I'm like, that's incredible. <laughs> that's, that's like a book of Acts situation. That's amazing. And we hear a lot about church growth. And... How did the church grow in Acts chapter 2? Well, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles. Four things, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Those are just the four things, I think, that were happening in the first church after people got saved. There was teaching going on, and this is teaching. We're doing teaching right now. We have Bible school going on online, and and I want to check in with you later on how that's going for you. We have teaching that goes on midweek. We have like Bible, Bible studies this week. I think it's going to be at the Bakers, right? And we're going to be meeting there. We're going to be teaching. Teaching. And fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is when you and I are just sitting down. Where we're, where we're, where you're together. And you're just having a, show, a social moment. And then someone throws out there a spiritual principle like, Hey, you know what? God answered prayer this week. Or, you know what? I was thinking about this verse. Or, you know... Um, 
I had a prayer request answered this week. Or, you know, when we initiate Christ into the conversation, that's fellowship. You know, fellowship is something that we have to guard because we are social creatures, and I think we live in such an exciting world of stimulation that our, our fellowship could become downgraded to something that's just social and not something that is spiritual. It doesn't mean that the only time that we're together we can only talk about Bible verses. I knew, I knew some guys in Bible school that were like that. You'd sit down with them, and you'd say, hey, how about them Texans? I didn't say Texans. I talked about another team. And they were like, hey, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, and they would start quoting verses. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. You know I don't know if I'm at your level of spirituality yet. Fellowship. Fellowship is when you and I can sit down and we can exchange what God is doing in our life. It's like, maybe it's just, you know, that mustard seed that you have. And you're sitting, you know what, don't, let's never underestimate, let's never forget that when you're talking with someone, something's going on in their life. It doesn't matter who it is. Just remember that maybe they don't show it, but something is happening in their life. And we want to be spiritually discerning and not freak people out by, you know, you know, just kind of like looking at them weird. But we want to just listen to God as we're talking to people and say, you know what, maybe there's, maybe I can encourage this guy. You know, and I sat down with a pastor, like a very successful pastor here in Houston. And I was talking to him. And I was like, you know, maybe God wants me to encourage this guy. You know, I got talking with him, found something out, you know, and I just, I just encouraged him. And he walked away encouraged that's what fellowship is and the breaking of bread. You know what breaking of bread is? One of the meanings is it's like when I'm breaking something off of something that I necessar- I need in my life and I'm breaking it off and I'm blessing someone else with it. Bread in the Bible always spoke of the, ult- the, the absolute undeniable sustenance that a person needs in their life to survive. My bread. Bread was something that was almost worshipped in the Bible. It was... It was the base nutrient of every diet. Breaking of bread, like, you know, when we are in a, you know, the first church was such a, you know, such a beautiful example. I remember being overseas, and maybe some of you have been in these situations too, because I know we have a lot of different cultures here tonight or today. But I remember being overseas in former Soviet Union where people had very little money, very little money. I mean, (coughs) Social Security over there was like 20 bucks a month. You know, good luck with that. And, you know, these guys, and it was funny. It seemed like the less that people had, the more faith they had in their life to do crazy adventures. I can't believe how much we did and how much we're doing here with so little, you know. And I just remember being overseas and being, having a, being at a conference. And we're all kind of in this youth hostel, very simple conditions. We're all there. And... And everybody on the trip brought one item. Someone brought eggs. This is a true potluck right here. Someone brought some bread. Someone brought some kielbasa, which is if you've never had Eastern European kielbasa, the real stuff, you haven't lived yet. It's just amazing stuff. Somebody brought apples. Someone brought, and they bring, and, 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 and at dinner, and at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, everybody, cucumbers. Um, someone brought a knife. <laughs> peppers and they bring it to the table and then someone would make make all the food I I cannot believe how good I ate that conference and people were so broke they were so poor they were so like I don't want to say poor because they weren't poor they just didn't have money and I just remember breaking they were breaking bread and you know that's one thing when you go 
you know, a person, the Bible says that a bountiful eye, it just, it never, in the book of Proverbs, never suffers need. And I think that there's the one, that, you know, it says in Proverbs, there is, there are two sisters, I think it goes. One is saying, give, give, right? Or give, give, and the other one says, take, take. I just think it's incredible that when we are so occupied with such an amazing God that we just have such a sense of like God's going to meet our needs. When we came here, we came here, um, when we came here, we were not sent here by a denomination or an organization that was loaded with cash. You know, we came here understanding that we're in God's will and God's going to provide. Amen. And God is providing. And every time in need, and I just remember getting here, and I just have a testimony. I remember getting here, and I just remember, and maybe Betty will remember this. We got here, and it was just a small kind of group of us. And um, this even before we connected with, with Eduardo and the family. And I just remember getting a phone call from somebody in, in another state. And they were like, we are watching what's going on in Facebook, what you guys want to do, and we want to help you. I'm like, who is this? And they said, well, you don't know us. We just know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody on Facebook. And they sent us, they said, we just started a business, and we want to, we have to, you know, we, we want to give off the top, and we want to bless you guys for what you're doing. And I said, well, thank you very much. And I was kind of like gave this thing, and they go, well, it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it's we want to be obedient to God. And so they gave, and I was like, you know, the, the check came in the mail, and it was like that was our sound system, just to get off the get off the get, and it was it covered our rent for our building in the beginning, and I was like, that is God, and you know that's a sign and that's a wonder. I think sometimes we define signs and wonders as like, you know, explosive miracles, but sign and a wonder, a, a sign. There's wonders, but then there are signs. A sign is when God is saying, you know what. You're on the right path, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back you up, and I'm gonna reaffirm what you're doing, and I'm gonna encourage you. I got a text message from Kyle, Pastor Kyle, this morning, uh, assistant pastor, my assistant pastor in Philly, and he, he just, he said, God has blessed us with this huge sound system in Hatboro, and I don't know the whole story behind it. I got it as a Snapchat on the way over here, and I can't wait to hear about what happens. And he showed me pictures, and I'm like. That is God right there. I mean, that's a church that, you know, that's amazing. Breaking of bread and prayer. And I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna finish right here. Prayer, you know, prayer. Prayer is like, prayer is one of the most incredible things. Um, ever since the, the church planners conference that we had here um, a few weeks ago, I think one thing that's been on a lot of our heart is prayer. A lot of us have been talking about it and we've been meditating on it and. I thought, how can we initiate prayer here without adding another night on somebody's schedule? And I think one idea that we can do is, is we can do a good old-fashioned prayer change where you just sign up. I'm going to put a link on Facebook later today or tomorrow. And you can just click on that link, and you can pick a half hour or an hour during the week or for the next few weeks and say, you know what, I want to dedicate this half hour to pray. <coughs> just pray. You know, I don't know, however you pray at home, some pray with their Bibles open, some pray with music playing, I don't know how you pray, but just say, I want to pray this, this half hour or this hour or these hours, whatever, don't overdo it, you know, just make sure you start off with what you can do and say, I want to just support 
this church plant, I want to support my family, I want to support um, these people, these amazing people that God has brought into our midst in such a short amount of time, in prayer. And you know something? Prayer works. Prayer is what changes things. Prayer, Ian Bounds said, is not a job, is not part of what the church does. It is the main work of the church. Prayer is something where we just, where we say, God, first when we pray, we just worship God who he is. We get occupied with God. We read verses that build us up in our faith. And then we just begin to, once we get that clear in our mind how great God is and how powerful God is, then we can bring to him our prayer list. And we just spread it before the Lord. We say, God, you know what is needed. I'll never forget that story in the Old Testament where Hezekiah was being surrounded by the Syrian armies. And he had gotten word that they were on the doorstep and that it was over. And he got this letter. He got a letter from from, uh, describing the situation. And he took the letter and the pages of the letter and he brought it to the temple of the Lord. And he spread all the pages before the Lord in the presence of God. And he got on his face and he said, Lord, you see what's going on here. You see what's happening. And he began to pray and God answered that prayer. Elijah prayed for 30 seconds and fire fell from heaven doesn't mean we need lots of prayer, but it just means to be in an attitude of prayer. Because prayer, and remember, I'll never forget what Hudson Taylor's wife said, and I've said it before here, after the ministry and after the China Inland Missions, um, amazing work of God in China. There's an amazing work of God going on in China. Cal and I were talking about it with her husband. Amazing work of God going on in, in China right now. But Hudson Taylor, when he went there in the late 1800s, early 1900s, prayed over each church plant. And his wife said, later on, looking back over the years of the church plant, she said, when we look back, we can see the churches planted with much prayer and the way the churches were planted with not much prayer. We can see the difference. So I just want to say, let's, let's exercise ourselves in prayer. Let's uh, because that's going to be the adhesive. When we pray for each other, and there's a rule in my mind that if I think about for someone for more than three minutes, I want to take that as a cue from the Holy Spirit that that person needs prayer. I'm just going to pray for them. And I think when there's a lot of prayer going on, there's less judging and less gossip. When there's a lot of prayer, there's a lot more compassion than there is <clears throat> criticism. When there's prayer going on for, for each other, pray for me. I need your prayers. I need your prayers so much. Uh, sometimes, and I'm not in this place, I'm not saying that I am, but sometimes pastors fail because there's no support in prayer. There's no support, team support. There's no, like remember David when he was out, he was an older man, he's out in war, and he almost gets killed, and when, and his generals come and rescue him, and they say, you know, David, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, I think that we need to surround each other, surround Neil with the worship leader in prayer, and his family, surround Wesley and all of us, every team member here, surround Eduardo and his family as they are kind of ramping up the, the vision for um, our Spanish translation. Do you realize that we're going to launch our church bilingual? We're going to be already bilingual. We're going to be Spanish speaking. Maybe I'll speak Spanish too. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? Let's bathe, each, let's bathe our marriages in prayer. 
Let's bathe our families in prayer. Let's bathe our future marriages in prayer. Wes. <laughs> let's, let's, bathe, let's bathe everything in prayer. We joke a lot this week about Wes's marriage. He's not married, but um, prayer. Amen. I just want to finish with one quote. Just a beautiful quote that I, I love by, um, by Timothy Keller. And he says this. Give me one second as I look for it. Here's two, here's two quotes. Prayer is an expression of dependence. Uh, Iron said this. Prayer is an expression of dependence. And when the people of God really feel their needs you will find them flocking together to pray. A neglected prayer meeting indicates very little recognition of one's true need. That's pretty amazing. And I... I, um, I will paraphrase what Timothy Keller said. He said that it's not until we have a revelation of the splendor and magnitude of God that we will have a capacity to forsake ourselves and our comfort zones and step out into, into serving and into ministry. It all begins with a revelation of the nature and the power of God. Amen. Let's pray.